Well, well, you guys, I just was amazed this week as uh, Pastor Britt was sharing with me what had happened with Advent Conspiracy, and I just have to echo what he has said. Uh, thank you so much for the ways that you generously participated in that project, and uh, excited to see what God does with that. This is a little different kind of Sunday. Normally, we would do this the first Sunday of the year, but due to snow, ice, dark of night, all that stuff, our schedule got juggled a bit, and so uh, we're doing it this Sunday, and it's something we do each year that we call Grace Stories. Uh, and on Grace Stories Sunday, rather than you listen to me preach, I give you a chance to hear some of each other's stories. Uh, because, you know, we're surrounded all the time. God is at work. God's at work in your individual lives. And so often you sit down with someone, they begin to tell you their story, and you go, wow, I just had no idea that that's what had happened in your life. And so we try and take uh, at least one Sunday during the year to just pause for a moment and say, let's hear a little bit of what God has done in some individuals' lives, uh, the evidences of his grace. You know, the Apostle Paul often told his story, and his story was certainly a dramatic one, wasn't it? I mean, he had been this enemy of the cross and then became its most ardent and well-known apostle. Uh, this comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. Paul could look back on his own story and say, I see God's grace. That someone like me, who was his sworn enemy, in my ignorance and my unbelief, God in his grace changed my story and is using me. I was reading an article a few weeks ago by a writer, David French, and uh, he was talking, uh, in the course of the article, it just struck me as really applying to what we're doing today. Let me just read you a little excerpt. He says, think of the loss of past, present, future narrative when a family fractures or when a friendship ends or when a factory closes. Longings are unfulfilled. Present energies feel wasted. Future hopes fade. This is where the church itself, because it is a family and because it is a fundamental part, not just of a story of hope, but the story of hope, is indispensable and irreplaceable. One of the great gifts of a functioning church is that you do, in fact, share the story with others. You do not walk alone. So my prayer is this morning, as you listen to just a few of the stories of our congregation, that it will be an encouragement to you. It will be a reminder to you that you do not walk alone. And a reminder that God is full of grace, and God is faithful, and God is at work all the time, everywhere in our lives. So, with that said, I'd like to call up our first guests, and for them it's going to be Shane and Angela Simonson. Why don't you guys come on up and join me? Look at that young couple up there. Angela, why don't we start with you, ladies first, right? Okay. Okay. Um, 
why don't you, and if, if you all don't know, Shane is our communications director for the church. So uh, we pay him to come to church. Uh, and uh, Men. Yeah. And, uh, and Angela is actually one of our secretaries as well. Does a lot. And when you see all the banners and graphics on our website, Angela does uh, most of that for us, not all of it. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a quick synopsis, uh, maybe life prior to meeting Shane, because we're going to pick up on that story more in a minute. Okay. Um, I was born in Seattle and raised in Kent. Um, lived with mom and dad and younger brother Andy. And he's pretty close to my age, like we're only 17 months apart. So we actually got along really well. <laughs> and um, I was really involved in school. Um, I studied hard. Um, I did basketball and track and a lot of music, played violin and was in band. And um, I was, I just really always wanted to do well. So I was striving and, um, you know, that led me a little bit into people pleasing and perfectionism down that path, which God taught me some about that. But um, going into college, I went to a Christian college in California. And I. What college did you go to? Simpson University in Reading. Okay. And four years there and graduated with a degree in psychology. And um, now, while you're at Simpson, uh -huh. you continued with some sports, didn't you? I did. I played basketball. Um, I did choir and mission trips there, too. And again, just really involved in giving all I had to serve the Lord. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell, you, you, I believe you had a scholarship for basketball. <laughs> Actually, my scholarship was for music. Was it? <laughs> and I didn't play basketball till my junior year of college. Okay, but there's quite a basketball story, <laughs> which we decided we wouldn't try and get into this morning. But uh, you did an interview a few months back, I think, with George Crabb, where you yeah, talked about George. the basketball story. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe it is online as of this morning. So if you go and check out the DCC Facebook page, if you want to hear more of Angela as a basketball player, <laughs> we've got that on there. I actually Shoot. failed. I didn't put that up. That will be up shortly. Yes, Our sorry. communications okay. director has just Very informed sorry. me. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, you, you finished college, and uh, what were you doing then prior to meeting Shane? Um, I was in banking. I was um, I was working at Starbucks. That was probably my main gig. Um, I did a bit of special ed, um, and Starbucks was my my second job part-time, but it eventually became my full-time career as an assistant manager. And so we met when I was working at Starbucks. When did you come to faith? I was young. I was five. Um, I saw a Billy Graham movie and in the theater, and we had our family photo taken um, when we all got dressed up and went out. And so I... They said, if you would like to follow Jesus and come forward, and there'll be ushers here. And I got out of my seat in my little pink fluffy dress. And um, my mom, she said, do you need something? Where, where are you going? You know, Because I always stayed close to mom. But I said, I want to follow Jesus. And I went straight forward. And she said, she knew right then that that was my, my own decision and that I was the Lord's. And um, so growing up in a Christian home was... Um, 
it's really good. Praying grandparents and just surrounded by ministry and really involved in that way. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we should ever undervalue the the seriousness of decisions that children make. We certainly grow in them, but uh, kids make genuine decisions that change the course of life. Shane, how about you? Before you met Angela, give us the the thumbnail of you. Well, I uh, grew up near Puyallup in Graham, Washington, and uh, did high school. Did um, I was in band, and everyone asked me why I didn't play football but my mom didn't want me to play football. <laughs> so I didn't play football. And then, uh, uh, but did band and did, um, my senior year I got into doing the TV stuff, the broadcast stuff. And, um, and then I went to college at Washington State University, which I started out as a political science marketing major. And my first marketing class was statistics. So I didn't like that. And then my first political science class was, uh, we were reading The Art of War Basically, we were learning how to deceive people and manipulate people, and I was like, I don't want this. And so, because I had that background in television, we were ranked number four in the nation at that point, and we had this huge communication department. So, I found myself over there on the, the cable station and did four years there, worked for Fox Sports, worked for the PBS station there. So, they had a really great hands-on opportunity to do school and work in the industry while we were there. So, I did that, and by my senior year, I was burnt out on on like the, the video stuff, because I did it for so long. So I took a, a gap year, if you will, lived in Sisters, Oregon, Central Oregon, which is kind of my adopted hometown, and spent a year there, and then I felt the Lord calling me to go to LA. It's another story, but um, I was going down for a week, and then I had just moved into a brand new beautiful house, and like everything was perfect in Oregon, and then I told my boss and my landlord, you know, I might just stay in, in LA for a little bit longer, Moved down there, and then I wound up with a, a really good job editing for um, different different stuff. So, why don't you just, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but I think folks will find it interesting if they don't already know this. Uh, who did you edit for? What's some of the stuff you edited on? So I worked on, um, early on I worked on like Pirates of the Caribbean was one of the first things that I worked on. And so I came in, I got called in in the middle of the night to do, ingest all of the materials. So I got to watch all the behind the scenes of, of, it was for a TV special. So I was just an assistant editor on that. Um, and then I worked on like 21 Grams, um, a lot of focus feature stuff, Universal Studios, MGM. Um, Universal Studios was the big one. So the one everyone likes to hear is Stargate. So this was Stargate season seven, I worked on the DVD. So what I worked on were the, at that time, the actors were striking and there was a big, um, upheaval in the industry, and so the studios realized they could go back to their catalogs and not pay the actors for the digital, the DVD distribution. So they were investing a ton of money in DVDs and added content. So all the, so I worked on all this stuff, which was really cool because I got to be behind the scenes on all these projects from like a little room with my coffee. <laughs> so. so pretty cool, pretty cool. So. Um, Again, there's a whole lot of story there. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I want to get up to you guys meeting. Uh, but you eventually uh, left Hollywood, kind of didn't want to do that whole scene with your life. I never intended to be an editor, and I never intended to be, and I never wanted to go to LA. And I found myself a cog in the wheel, and I was seeing what it was all about, and I didn't see the redemptive quality in it. Um, and for better or worse, I chose to go back to Oregon. And really, for me, I was looking for mentorship. And I had a lot of good friends down in LA, 
amazing community, amazing people down there, but I was really seeking solid mentorship, and I had some people up north that, um, so that was my big reason for going back to Oregon. I thought it would be for a small season in my young adolescent arrogance, but God said, you want to do this? We're going to do this. So then he took me on a ride from there. That's cool. Um, now, when did you guys actually meet? Because you're up in Washington, you're in Oregon. How did you guys come to meet? And was it love at first sight? Or uh, tell us about that. <laughs> um, I was 28 and living in a house with five girls. <laughs> and we had people over at our house after church to just hang out. And um, one of my roommates had a CD that she listened to. And I said, who's this? And she's like, you don't know Shane. He's, he's always, you know, hanging out. And I was like, I don't think so. And so I actually heard some of the music that he wrote. Um, so when he came to the house that evening to, to hang out, I said, oh, you're the Shane. And then I felt silly right away. <laughs> <laughs> so we shared a cup of coffee and talked for told my roommates said, you need to go home. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> so did you kind of know right away that this was a lady you wanted to spend some more time with? I think we were both in a place where we were not looking for someone. But of course, you're looking for someone if you're in your 20s. But um, so I think I was cautious. I met her and I was like, oh, she's pretty amazing. But I'm cautious. And then we kept talking and talking. And then I actually so I went out and bought like these amazing tickets to the Paramount Theater to see this really good artist, and and then she was too busy for me, so I went alone. And uh, he and asked then, me that day. <laughs> it was that day, and I asked her to a couple other things, and she kept saying no. I really was busy. I was busy. So then, but my roommate said, "You gotta, you gotta just at least give the guy a try." Yeah, because I'd move on, which I would. I was, I was going to move on, and then finally we were like, okay, we need to, because we knew there was something there. And so then the only time that worked was to go to Catton's in Puyallup, which is a 24-hour diner. It's like, it's like classic. And we were just going to get dessert, because I was doing youth group, and you were, I think you might have been doing that too. And so we met after our things at like 9.30 on a Tuesday night to have a, to have a banana split. And then at 4.30 in the morning, she said, I got to go. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, we should go to bed. She's like, no, I got to go to work. I open at Starbucks. So she had to leave and go to work, and then I went home and slept. And then there was that night, so it was like our second time we met when we really kind of knew that there was something special there. That's cool. Okay, so you guys started dating, and uh, about six months after you met, something big happened in the relationship. Why don't you tell us about that? Angela, what happened at that point? Um, we were planning to move down to Oregon with some friends and kind of start a new chapter down there. And um, I actually was diagnosed with breast cancer. And my whole world just stopped at that point um, with doctors and appointments and tests and treatment and surgery. And um, I mean, I was a busy girl and all of a sudden, um, I had a new a new world that I entered in. And how old were you at that time? I was 28 and wasn't in my family. And so I think 
everyone else was just as shocked as I was in the medical field. They didn't really get it. Um, but when you're in that, you, you choose to move forward with the Lord. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't think he deserved to hang around with this mess. <laughs> and I, um, you know, I basically said, you don't, you don't have to stick around. I don't know what's going to happen. And, um, he stayed and it was a really good gift from the Lord for that season and now. <laughs> so. so where were you, Shane, when you found out about this? I was, uh, I was, I'm turning the mic on and off. Sorry about that. Um, I was actually, at that time, I was kind of pursuing music. And so I was actually in Minnesota in North Dakota. So I was in Eastern North Dakota on tour with music. And um, she called me. And so then I still had the tour to go, but I just like left. I just, uh, um, I was actually on my way back at another gig, but I just drove 30 hours straight from however long it was, just drove straight back to, to Washington. Wow. Yeah. What was it like for you? I mean, here's this lady that you are romantically interested in. Had you guys talked about marriage yet at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We were pretty, it was kind of one of those weird things that you want to avoid with your, your kids to warn them about, but we were, we were very sure and we were cautious, but we just kind of knew like this was for real and we were both in a place where we didn't want to just date. We didn't want to just go through the motions. So like, we were very serious if we're going to be in this relationship, we're pursuing marriage, um, leaving a door open for anything, you know, sure. which is healthy. But yeah, we, we had already talked about marriage at that point. So you're thinking seriously about marriage and now you find out that um, she's got cancer and you're not sure what the future holds. Were you, at that point, were you conflicted about if you should keep moving forward or did you feel settled that this is where God had called you? I mean, settled isn't the word, I don't think, but it was a lot of upheaval. And I think in my life, in your life too, maybe, maybe more in my life, there's been a lot of upheaval. So I was prepared for this season in a lot of ways. So a lot of times when you're going through the tough stuff, it's going to prepare you for something down the road. And so that at that point, um, and a lot of things that we won't talk about, but there was a lot of areas where I was prepared for what we we're going to walk through. And um, no credit to me at all, but um, yeah. So I was settled in knowing that she was who the Lord had for me, you know, um, and I believe that, you know, with a healthy discernment. And so, yeah, I was like, if this is who the Lord has for me, he provided me this amazing woman, then I'm gonna be here for better or worse, you know? So that's, that's where I was at was, I'm gonna walk through this. Okay. And also, I mean, she was my, best friend, so I'm gonna walk her through as a, as a friend, so. So Angela, talk about the experience for you. What, spiritually, what was going on for you through this? Um, spiritually, it, it was, I guess, confusing at first. Um, I had worked really hard <laughs> at um, doing, you know, doing my job well and, and serving in ministry and um, being really likable to others and, um, you know, trying to, to strive and create this, this life for myself. And um, 
you know, there's, when things like this happen out of your control, you realize there's this false sense of security um, that sometimes in life um, you realize, oh, I, I don't have control over these things and my security is in, in the Lord. And, you know, when you're physically that sick and um, you, you're not able to be around people because of your immune system and, um, you know, there's all those things swirling around. Um, I found just being in my bed, um, I had some of the sweetest intimate time with Jesus because it was just my soul vulnerable and bare with him. And I, and I didn't, I wasn't doing anything um, to try to earn or um, please him. It was, in fact, I was <laughs> weak <laughs> and um, unable and I had a big need. And, you know, I think when he comes to rescue us in that space, that's, that's the gospel. You know, when we, when we acknowledge and remember that we have that lack, that need, and we need to be rescued. We can't do all of that on our own. Um, and, and so it sounds strange, but yeah, it was some of the sweetest um, communion with him, just with our spirits and mm. his heavenly presence. <laughs> yeah, wow. Did, now, when did you guys get married through this journey? Because the, the journey through cancer was how long for you? Let's see. It felt like five years. <laughs> it felt like 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was about, um, well, between surgery and chemo and radiation, that was about two. And then I had started like a 10-year uh, hormone therapy. Okay. Um, so let's see. We got married. We got married in 2010. We met in two, the, 2008 we met. Yeah. So it was actually two years. Yeah. Two and a half years. My hair was still short. Meeting. <laughs> yeah, we met in January 2008, and then we got married in September of 2010. So literally what felt like five years or 10 years <laughs> was actually only about two and a half years. Wow. So, yeah. It did feel like a long time. Yeah. 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 Wow, quite a story. I, I wish we had more time just to kind of dig into all the details of it. Having, having come through this experience, if you could uh, look back on, well, I guess, first I want to ask you, Angela, because you and I talked about this. What are just maybe one or two things, people that were coming alongside you at that point? Because everybody wants to help, <laughs> but nobody knows really what that means. What are one or two things that either you found really helpful that people did for you, or maybe things that weren't helpful? Mm. I will say it is different for everyone. Um, each person has their own journey and their own story. Um, there's not a, not a fix-all. Um, but I, I will say that um, having a presence is really important. Um, and and to, to be present. I mean, to really be there, either on the phone or in an email or in person, um, to be real and to be there. And um, sometimes silence is okay. There's nothing wrong with just 
being there and not saying anything that I know it might feel uncomfortable, but I can't tell you how many times Shane was by my side not saying a word, and it was the biggest strength and comfort. Um, so mm. less is more. <laughs> mm. That's good. That's really good. Uh, if you guys will wrap up with this, if you could look back at um, a younger Shane, a younger Angela, um, knowing what you've gone through, what God has taught you in this process, is there anything that you would tell them to encourage them or prepare them? Buy Starbucks and Microsoft. <laughs> Good counsel. Yeah. I would say, um, well, for myself, I would tell myself to worry less and enjoy more. Um, don't know, you know, how much time you have, you don't know. Um, sometimes we're working hard for something and we're missing what we've got. Um, and yeah, just to, just to release whatever those tensions are that come up in your life, whether it's worry or anxiety or fear, just continue to release that back to him. And um, he, he's so faithful. <laughs> Seriously, I think finding your identity in Christ, who who you are in Christ, who you were created to be, separate from who people want you to be, or who who you've developed to be through your through your years, and being secure and confident in that, constantly questioning it, because we're fallible. You know, we have wicked hearts, so we we can always be wrong. But find and find good counsel around you, um, but be confident in that. And don't be swayed by the people around you. Uh, but be confident who God he made you to be. Mm. Good. Yeah. Good words. Well, you guys, can I pray for you before we wrap this up? Father, I thank you so much for blessing Shane and Angela with each other. I thank you for the gift of life that you give to each one of us day by day. And I thank you for uh, just bringing Angela through this trial, for restoring her father. We, we thank you for her life. I thank you for bringing them into our fellowship, making them part of our family, and just how both of them have um, made such an impact in so many ways. Uh, Father, thank you for your grace to them. Thank you for gracing us with them. And we pray for your blessing over their lives, Father. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
Well, our next guest, our final one for this morning, is someone that I think most of us know, and uh, someone that I find has always been interested in knowing everyone else's story, and uh, one of those friends that is quick to listen, uh, quick to share a smile or a tear with others, uh, but a lot of us may not know her story. And so I've asked if Carlene Brown would come and let us hear a bit of her story. Carlene? I love this picture. Oh, yes. So tell us about the pony. Well, we lived in housing projects in San Francisco, and this gentleman with this lovely pony and chaps and a hat, and I don't know if there was a vest or not, but he would come around, and I, it could not have been very much money because we didn't have money, but it was the thrill of my young life to get up on that pony because uh, a few years later, I had a, I wasn't going to, well, sort of passionate love affair with Roy Rogers and wanted to be Dale Evans just in the worst way and trigger for years Palominos were my favorite horse. And uh, so, yes, I think maybe my love affair with being a cowgirl began on that pony. Right there, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Now, you could have been a cowgirl uh, very legitimately because you were born in? Texas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. You're a Texan. Not exactly um, in a ranch, more likely in probably the poorest neighborhood of Dallas is where I was born, and I was born at home. Oh, okay. So now, tell me about uh, your your parents, your dad. What's uh, what's the history on dad? Um, my dad, I actually didn't know my dad well at all. But when I was two, uh, it was after the bombing at Pearl Harbor, and my dad went to Pearl Harbor to help rebuild the ships that had been damaged. And so he moved our family to San Francisco. And uh, so then the rest of my growing up was in San Francisco. But I always had a real soft spot in my heart for Texas. It was, and I was very upset when Alaska came in to be a, a state because it was bigger than Texas. And I just didn't think that was fair. It's not right, is it? It was not right. No, no. Now you said you didn't know your dad well. So your dad no. wasn't around for long? No, he actually was in Hawaii for two to three years. And way back then, People were not allowed leave to come back. So when he came back to San Francisco, uh, he was there a while and apparently couldn't find a job and moved back to Texas with the idea that once he got established, he would send for us. And he actually went back to Texas and decided to divorce my mom. And um, which, which was, I mean, I was too young to know what was going on. But um, she had no education, so finding a job to support three girls was difficult. And she worked in a laundry and walked to work every day because we didn't have a car. And um, whew, um, I just have a great deal of respect for my mom and never, ever complained, wow. ever, ever. And like you said, I think when you and I were talking, you first told me that you grew up in the projects in San Francisco. Uh -huh. that, that kind of surprised me because I, you know, 
my guess wouldn't have been that you grew up in the projects, but there was some, some lean yeah. years, weren't there? Oh my goodness, yes. And, um, and it, it was hard because my friends all had way more in a, in a financial sense than we did. But um, I guess my mom was a very special lady. Uh, spiritual history at that point. Uh, was your was your mom a believer? Did you? Oh my goodness! She was not only a believer; she was a church goer. And if the church doors were open, we were there, walking because of course we didn't have a car for a long time. But um, it was. I grew up in a Baptist church, which meant Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer service, and if there was anything going on Friday night, we were there as well. Okay, all right, so you did go to church. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then you've got two sisters, you said? Yes. Okay. Two older sisters, one 11 years older and one seven years older. Okay, all right, so you very much were the baby of the family. Yes, I had so many mothers, it was, there was no way I could <laughs> get off path. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think the impact for you was of growing up in the projects, going through that experience as a young person, what was the impact mm. of that on you? You know, part of it was, as I look back as an adult, I'm glad that I grew up with very little because it sure makes me appreciate what I do have. But at the time, it was hard. Yeah. Because like I said, my friends all had way more. And um, as a kid, you really feel that or I certainly felt that difference. And part of it was not having a dad because way back then, people were not divorced. They might have lived in a lot of anger and, and um, ill will, but there was, I didn't know anybody that had a divorced, hmm. uh, a divorce in their family. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you went to college. Uh-huh. And I think you said you were the first one in your family to go to college? Oh, yeah. My, my sister closest to me was the first one to graduate from high school. And our youth pastor had gone to Linfield and thought I should go there. Well, mm -hmm. being as poor as we were, there's no way I was going to Linfield. But I worked that first year out of high school and saved everything, had another job in addition to the one job, and, um, and then with student loans... Went to Linfield um, and, and really liked it. I would just, in the fall, I'd just shuffle through all the pretty leaves because San Francisco is not a real season place. And so being in Oregon with leaves and season, I mean, it was just, I'd send leaves home to my mom <laughs> because they were so pretty. Now, you didn't finish college, no. did you? And why was that? Well, um, I met my first husband in college and uh, went home, had to work another year, and we became engaged. He was continuing in college, but um, so I, I worked the year before the first year of college, worked the year before the second year of college, and then we got married, which would have been his senior year, my sophomore year. Okay. Now, spiritually, I think you mentioned to me that there was, uh, during those years, there was one church service in particular that oh, was yes. really important for you. What, mm -hmm. what happened? It was a Sunday evening, and the pastor, he just, he just preached on Jesus. Just 
just, and it was like I saw Jesus in a different way. It was so precious. So, um, and my, my husband did, you know, was totally against God, totally against Jesus, um, had been raised in a Christian home, but had, for some reason, which he never explained, just totally turned his back on God. So I, after this wonderful service, I wrote him a letter and just explained how wonderful Jesus was and you know how much of an impact it would have in a good way on our lives. And then just waited and waited for the answer to the letter. And when it came, it was just devastating because every line in my letter was refuted. He was very, very intelligent, uh, science major, so, you know, that whole thing. Um, and just, and I was devastated. But at the time I got the letter, the wedding invitations were on the table, and I decided to make a choice. It was it going to be God? Was I going to pursue this wonderful Jesus, who I knew was Savior? Or was I going to marry Jim? and just put God aside. Not away, aside. And so I made that decision to put God aside. And we got married and uh, then went off to Linfield again. And so I, I actually had two years of college. Okay, all right. Um, and then Jim went on to med school. You mm -hmm. put Jim through med school uh -huh. and then he went into the military, right? So right. there was a lot of moving. Where mm -hmm. all did you guys move to? Ah, well, we, we were in McMinnville for college, Portland for medical school, and then Hawaii, which was really nice, for internship, then a year in central Texas at Fort Hood with lots of tanks. It was kind of, it's kind of spooky, really. Um, and, and then he went to Washington, D.C. for his residency in ophthalmology. Okay, all right. Now, during those years, uh, you told me that all you really wanted to do was to be a mom, mm -hmm. but that didn't come about the way you had hoped. No, not in the normal way. Um, yeah, growing up, I loved playing with dolls, and you know, way back in those days, people were either airline stewardesses or secretaries or nurses or school teachers. I mean, those are about the four choices. And, um, but I was like, oh, I just want to be a mom. And then it didn't happen in the, as often our lives have a, our plan, and then God has a different plan. And um, so we were not able to have children the normal way, but God was so good to, um, while we were in Washington, D.C., we were able to adopt Jimmy who was the world's most perfect baby. He just <laughs> groans when I say that, but he truly was the world's most perfect baby. And then um, we were in DC for three years, and then we moved to Tacoma. Jim was at Madigan Army Hospital for the payback years for the military, and that was where we got Amy. Okay, all right. Now, April 20th. 1976. We're going to jump forward a little bit. Yes, Betty Ford came to town. We lived in Harlingen, Texas, and that was the day that I really committed my life to the Lord. 
I knew I had my salvation. God was faithful as a child. I don't know the exact age as Angela did, but um, it was very young. And of course, in a Baptist church, you have two revivals a year, spring and fall. And I think maybe at least half of those revivals, I would go forward and church camp in the summers, which were done on scholarship. Um, but that day, I thought, no matter whatever happens in my life, this is it. There is no turning back. Let me get to that. Hold that mic a little bit. Oh, there is no turning back. Good. Um, so now, you told me that Jim was really opposed yes. to your faith. Now mm -hmm. you've made this big commitment mm -hmm. in your faith. Did you tell him? Nope. I sure didn't because <laughs> I thought, whoo, you know, the letter didn't do it. And I just, I was not prepared to, at that moment, to defend my decision because he, um, he kind of made the decisions. And so I thought, I'm just not going to tell him, and we'll just see what God does. And I don't remember how long it was. And we were going out to dinner one night, got a babysitter for the kids, and I thought something's going to happen. So I called some friends and said, please pray, because I just feel like there's something's going to happen. And, so it, and it did. And so at dinner, Jim said, well, now, before you do something stupid like praying, um, you know, it was kind of like we needed to have another talk. And, and I just very quietly said, I already did. And it was, it was like one of the two times in my life that it was like an out-of-body experience because it was like I would open my mouth and the Holy Spirit would speak. And, and Jim, who was always very calm, and I'm the whoo, 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 up and down one, it was like he was frustrated, and I was like, whew. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And it was kind of like the beginning of the end. Mm. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. But, but, um, and I wish I knew what had happened to make Jim so opposed, because he was raised in a very, you know, in a, uh, at church as I was, and and in high school he would lead his friends to Youth for Christ, and they'd get saved. Hmm. And so I I don't know what it was that just so totally turned him off. Wow. Now you guys came to Squim in 1985. Five. Right? Uh huh. Uh, I also learned something about you and the ski patrol, which people may not. <laughs> Why don't you tell us briefly what oh. happened with you and the ski patrol? Um, well, the first winter we were here, we went to, um, I think it was Mount Washington in Canada to ski. And oh, it was a beautiful place. And so it was one of those days we were there. It was the last run, because it was starting to get a little bit dark. And and I was just going down the mountain, just whoosh. And and I'm not a great skier by any means. And so I was going so fast and feeling so exhilarated. And the, the ski patrol guy said, you need to slow down. And I was like, oh, me? It was 
It was just kind of like one of those moments of. So our little Carlene giving yes. the ski patrol a bad time. Yes. All right. I did not know you were so fast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. Okay. So that's a little bit of comedic relief. We now come to a harder part of the story. Mm -hmm. um, because you said that night you told Jim where you were at spiritually. Mm -hmm. You said that was the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. And then the end came. It did. We moved from South Texas to Squim in 1985. And um, Jim was going to try, because the rest of the family, myself, Jimmy, and Amy, did not really want to move. Um, but Jim wanted to, so we did. And he said he would try going to church with us. And he actually did go a couple of times. We even went on a retreat with DCC. And, um, and, and that was the end of it. He just, he, his unbelief was so strong that, um, and then classic story, he met somebody and wanted a divorce. And so that, and innocent me, I went to the attorney when I absolutely had to, and I said to the attorney, but I don't want the divorce. And he just looked at me and said, it's going to happen anyway. And I was, I was kind of stunned, but it did happen. And, um, and it was hard. It was really hard. But as Angela said, in the darkest night of our soul is when God just, like all those songs, I was thinking as we were singing, and Sarah, if you picked them, God bless you. Um, but I was thinking, that's my testimony. Those songs, his faithfulness, it's not Christ. I mean, it's not me, it's Christ. And um, it, it's just, um, and I don't wish the dark night of the soul on anybody. But I am here to tell you that when it comes, you just hang on to Jesus. And his word, the first night that Jim uh, left, I just, there was this verse that I'd heard that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I didn't know where it was. And so I just grabbed my Bible and I looked up in the little concordance and I found it. And I just, <gasps> it was like my lifeline. And really, God's word was what kept me going. And um, at one point, I was seriously suicidal. And my doctor wanted me to be hospitalized. It was that bad. And um, I thought, no, 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 I can't do that because I will lose Amy. My son was a freshman in college, and Amy was a freshman in high school. So I thought, no, I can't. I can't go into the hospital. And um, so I had to call him every day at noon. For two weeks, I did that. And then I was over the hump. And um, But it was just the word of God. And choosing to believe what his word said. And um, the other, I don't know if it was last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago, you mentioned that phrase, but it, um, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you strong. And that is true for me, because it did not kill me, but it sure made me strong. Yeah. Now, God 
also provided for you though. Mm -hmm. You had some years alone, uh -huh. but then Ron came into your life. Yes. A lot of, a lot of us know Ron Brown. Mm -hmm. um, tell us just a little bit about Ron. He was very kind. He was so kind. And after what I'd gone through, kindness was paramount. And he, he didn't take life quite as seriously as I did, and, which I guess was a good thing. And so he, he kept life lighter than it probably would have been if it was just me. And so we were married for seven, I was going to say 13, 17, a little over 17 years. And next month, he will have been with Jesus for 13 years. Wow. So, which is hard to believe, but yeah. And, and I'll share this little tidbit if you don't know. Uh, those of us that grew up watching like Wonderful World of Disney, if you ever saw the old movie Charlie the Lonesome Cougar, uh, Ron Brown, her husband, is the lead character in that. Uh, he was a mm -hmm. director for Disney for uh, quite a while, did some of their movies, mm -hmm. and then actually yeah. was featured in that one. Mm -hmm. uh, and he had little teeny bit parts in a lot of things. And what Dave Clinton, who I think is sitting over there, he was so cute. He had some I Dream of Jeannie DVDs, and he said, Carlene, Ron's in one of them. So he told me which, which one, and... You know, and it was it was just real sweet. Yeah, he was in a lot of, and sometimes I get residual checks for ninety five cents. Yeah, and and one time it was so little I wouldn't even take it to the bank. I just <laughs> threw the check away. It was just too ridiculous. Uh, well, Ron was a good man. Loved the Lord. Yes, he did. Loved you. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that, of course, you've blessed a lot of us with was the, the home that you had, the oh, beautiful log yes. home. And uh, uh, I know my sons, we did some special get-togethers there, mm -hmm. and, and now God's blessed you for the new home. Yes, and he has. You've been enjoying that? Oh, I, I do. It's, and David and Lauren were just there this weekend to stay, so I don't have the room I used to have to, you know, welcome people in. But but it it is just... It's, it's special to me. It's really special. Well, I think obviously one of the gifts that God has given you that you use well is a gift of hospitality. You just have reached out to so many people. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed at what you know about folks, not because you're being snoopy, but just because you care. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just a, a way that God has used you through the hard things to have mm -hmm. a really compassionate heart toward others. And so... Uh, I just want to say thank you for all the ways that you've ministered in this church for a mm. lot of years. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, can I pray for you? Yes, you can. Oh, well, Father, I thank you so much for Carlene. I thank you for uh, just all the ways that she has encouraged so many people over the years, that she's encouraged me, she's encouraged our family, our kids. Uh, Father, thank you that you've taken things that were broken, things that were those dark nights of the soul, and I just see how you have turned them around uh, for your glory, that your love, your peace shows through Carlene in so many ways. And so, Father, I pray that you will continue to fill her days with joy. You'll continue to fill her with the assurance that you will never leave her. You will never forsake her, just as you have cared for all these years. Uh, Father, we ask for your blessing on her. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right. 
I, uh, I asked Kevin if he would sing a song. It's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. I think it just fits so well what we've been talking about, listening to this morning, and uh, Kevin agreed to do that. So, Kevin? Those are wonderful stories of God's faith, faithfulness to us, his people. And this is another one. Thank you. 